Hello and welcome to the Scottish Rugby Podcast, the only rugby podcast that will be putting out an 18 and PG rated version of the podcast this week, recut for a family audience like Mrs Doubtfire was in 1993. Um, I am Cammy Black and I'm joined by the half of Gian Ander here who has not been the subject of an open letter on the internet, it's Ian Hay. Howdy f- um, and um, from joining us this week on loan from the Blood and Mud podcast, it's Josh Gardner. Good evening, gents. I feel like I've already lowered the tone, and I haven't even said anything. So. <laughs> to be to be fair, you haven't. We, we you know, one of our um, regulars, John, um, was the subject to an open letter on Facebook, basically <laughs> um, caught, saying that he was banned from being a Scottish rugby fan. Or his application to being a Scottish rugby fan had been rejected because he publicly said it was okay to boo kickers. I mean, I've been, I've off a lot of people on the internet about rugby over the years. Some of them are quite famous, and most of them not. <laughs> I've never had an open letter. That's impressive. I know he's. We still. This is three weeks on. This. It was a video he did for eight 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 betting, um, which obviously he was paid for. Um, obviously. And obviously they paid him to be controversial, and he was. But now, three weeks later, his Facebook and Twitter are just an absolute mess still. <laughs> Which just goes to show that you should never, ever do anything that gains you any kind of notoriety or fame. Which is exactly how me and Leah from the podcast for the last three years. <laughs> yeah. Think, uh, my my, my favourite one was uh, a guy that said, yeah, this guy should go somewhere, uh, somewhere else permanently. <laughs> like what are you, a f- what are you just saw a place in the sun he's like oh yeah yeah, yeah. Here, john anderson you can boo kickers all you want here in beautiful sunny croatia <laughs> i mean to be fair all he needs to do is go to france where it's basically a sport <laughs> so yeah i was really annoyed that during the france game i was i purposely sat down and thought i'm going to make a note of every time they boo the kicker and they were really annoyingly silent <laughs> it's yeah i hate i hate it when we impose our anglo-saxon values on the gals yeah because i mean they, that's not in their natural they're just doing that to make us feel better aren't they yeah anyway um that's enough we're, we're going to try and not talk about booing kickers because we will try and i ease feel up. like you've done that to death we you? have yeah we yeah. have we have even though we're still getting john's john and even i think the official uh twitter account uh, um the rory run still gets lots of mentions about it and um, lots of people big like swearing and calling john quite unpleasant things and then saying have you no respect for rugby values which is immensely funny um i mean those are my favorite people yeah <laughs> i uh, i i commented on that uh rather rudely i've not actually checked if anyone replied to it that's i think it's fine to be i think it's fine to be rude so long as you don't then claim start talking about rugby values afterwards it's perfectly fine to be rude yeah no yeah. issue with that at all um, you know what was you know rugby values like casual racism by uh frequently going ah oh, that jock will never win anything anyway uh yeah. you know or you know, just, you know ramp, rampant colonialism all that stuff yeah yeah yeah, yeah. Oh. anyway if you want to send us angry anyway. letters uh, you can do so via email, podcast at scottishrugbyblog.co.uk. Uh, you can get in touch through the blog on the comments, scottishrugbyblog.co.uk. We're on Twitter at scottrugbyblog, and I'm at Cammy Black. Uh, Josh, how do people get hold of you if they want to write you letters after anything you're going yeah, to say on the next I mean, by hour? All means, by all means, give me all the open letters you can handle. Uh, I am at Josh Gardner or at rugbyshirtwatch, rugbyshirtwatch.com, and of course, uh, the Blood Mud podcast which is available where all podcasts are not sold. 
Yes, um, and you do sell it as well because you can join the Patreon, of course. Uh, we do actually, we do indeed have a Patreon Patreon. Oh, I've got no idea how to pronounce that that <laughs> thing. Yeah, you can chuck us a couple of quid, you get a few extra podcasts where we're even more scatty and weird and random than we are in the main thing, if you can believe that. Yeah, and if you fi- hopefully, if people from here sign up for that, hopefully you'll get enough Scottish listeners to finally do a Scottish history one, which might persuade me to sign up. <laughs> I don't- we think that the Scottish listeners are actively stopping us from doing a Scottish history <laughs> by actively voting for anyone else because they just don't want to. The, all the others have been so harrowing in the, oh God, everything was awful. We are terrible. Look at all the legacy of colonial horrendousness that built our sport that you guys just don't want to know. No. And fair enough. Yeah. No, we'll not talk about the South African touring teams that we had playing at Murrayfield. <clears throat> yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Anyway, um, tonight what we thought what we thought would be interesting. Um, Sandy Smith has done an article on the blog this week um, asking the question whether or not the Pro 14 is the best league in the world. Um, he um, quite rightly points out that um, people who go around saying that sorts of thing are mad because you can't really go around supporting a league. It's not something that people generally support. Um, although apparently you can buy Pro 14 branded merchandise. Which is odd. Really, I wonder how that's selling. Yeah. <laughs> it's not. It's not in the sale. They've not marked it down yet. But you can buy training tops, a polo shirt, and a hat. Wow! From I the mean, website, yeah. Here was me thinking that I I had everything I needed in my wardrobe, but apparently not. No, no. It's it's the thing to be seen about in town. So anyway, oh, on it's th- reduced twenty. They 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 got. They've already got twenty percent off. Not a good sign. <laughs> Um, you can look at yesterday. yeah. You can look at Sandy's article on the blog. Um, essentially, I think he concludes that uh, we're as good as anybody else, although we clearly haven't got the investment. Which brings us on to the sort of more recent um, rumours, and not so much rumours as it might possibly be happening that, that there's going to be a, a further expansion of the Pro 14 to be the Pro 16. Um, I'll start with you, Ian. I mean, there's there's various teams that could possibly come into this. You've got Ealing Trail Finders in England, who I seem quite keen if they get uh, locked out of the Premiership. We've got three teams in South Africa, reportedly the Bulls, the Sharks, the Stormers. There's always been the long-mooted USA teams in either Dallas or Boston. And then now we've possibly got a Georgian team as well. I mean, where if you were going to expand by two teams, where would you take them from? Uh, to be quite honest, I have no idea. Because <laughs> um, it's it's just becoming, you know, you've mentioned those three South African teams. Uh, what's that going to do to the Super 14? Uh, also, you know, with, with the Chiefs and the Kings, I was looking at, um, well, something that, uh, that we might talk about later with regards to some of the Welsh clubs. Um, <laughs> I, was look, I was looking at sort of a percentage, um, like capacity, uh, average attendance, Um and you've got the Cheetahs and the Kings. They're at less than a fifth each. Even if you take the Dragons out, uh, the Dragons' top attendance was 62,000, but that was one of the Judgment Day ones. I took that out of the equation. Fair enough, did, and rightly so. Yeah. Did, did some rubbish maths, and even then uh, the Dragons were... Um, they were actually ahead of uh, Ospreys. Yeah, um, it's not been a good year for us. Yeah, no. <laughs> but this is the whole thing, this whole idea of, like, all right, so we're going to add to league, but where from? I mean, you've mentioned, what, seven or eight teams there? Yeah. Um, across three, four continents. Um, it's just, I mean, it's 
there's just so much stuff that's just tossed up in the air. I have no idea what's going to happen. Uh, I think that you know there needs to be a good proper sit down and not even think about changing anything for another two years at least. Well, it's 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 almost like they've just not learned any of the lessons that Super Rugby has had to learn, which is that bigger is not always better, mm. especially when you're that bigger is across a massive geographical and time zone range. You know, it's and a massive lack work. of interest in certain and there's things. a massive yeah. You know, there's nobody nobody. <laughs> a big part of why the South African teams had to cull the teams from Super Rugby is because nobody was bothering to go. And that has not changed with the Pro 14 at all. And, yeah, I find it hard to believe that they'll be packing out, well, I was going to say the Liberty Stadium, but let's face it, there's not going to be anybody playing in the Liberty Stadium next season. Um, but, you know, there's not going to be people in Parker Scarlet's or Cardiff Hall's Park or, you know, or Murrayfield or Scottstoon or the RDS. They're not going to be queuing up to pack out that to go and watch a Georgian team versus Leinster's thirds or whatever, you know, it's, it's, where's the audience for it is, is always my question with it. And I don't think there's much of an audience and much enthusiasm for the pro four team with the South African teams in it as, as sporadically decent as the cheaters have been. And yeah, I just adding more South Africans or adding Georgians or adding Americans or adding Ealing trail finders or whatever, like, how does that make the league more interesting? I'm not sure it does. No, I think I think in terms of, I mean, the South African thing as well. I mean, the, the, there's much made of the time difference, but even then, you've you've got essentially got to go on these little. Everyone's got to go on these little mini tours, and then the South African team teams have to come over here for was it like a month at a time they come over and play like four or five games. Yeah, which is a which lot. Is, yeah, I mean, you've only got to look at the ridiculous toll that it's taken on the Jaguares and the Sunwolves by the end of their respective seasons in the super, you know, you know, going from Argentina to South Africa to Australia to New Zealand to Japan and, you know, even with putting those in blocks, it's a huge you know, they're doing hundreds of thousands of miles. And that's not good for a professional athlete. And, you know, it's it's not good that our that they have to come up here, and even though the time zone thing isn't that much different, you know, the the amount of miles they're doing is huge. And if you were to throw Georgia in there, or if you were to throw America in there, it's you know that just becomes even more unworkable, surely. Yeah, I mean, I can see, I can, I, I suppose, I can see the point for the American one because it's all about markets, and there is, I, I suppose, that there is probably going to be a little bit of an arms race between who can get the Americans yeah. into their league first. But I don't yeah. think I think you're right. I don't think it's a case of, you know, at all costs we should be the ones that do it because if that then means you know travelling what they're like ten well if Boston at best is like what a ten hour round trip by flight at best and yeah. then you've got the time delay nobody wants to do that and it's not like they even they don't even really sell out do they sell out Wrigley Field when the All Blacks play there? Oh, they only when they played Ireland. Yeah, because. Everyone in America thinks they're Irish, um, <laughs> but um, like in you know when Wales played the Springboks in Washington last year, you know you could have thrown a stone in any direction and not hit another fan. The stands were so empty. Yeah, you know there's for all the talk of what a emerging market the US is, there's still a lot of work to be done there. And you know they didn't even sell the you know the Premiership games that they've had over there have not sold out. 
and they've not been in big stadia. Yeah, I mean, Scotland have played twice in Dallas, and I don't think either... The only good thing to come out of those games was in one game we had American commentary over here, which was made it infinitely more exciting, an infinitely more exciting game (laughs) to have someone describing um, rugby in American football terms. Yeah, Um, and and that's kind of... The novelty thing is, is the only thing that really appeals to me about America, is just seeing how little they understand it is funny (laughs) you know i was over in first weekend of the six nations i was over in la so i was sort of having to watch i think i was watching no that was it they didn't show scotland live they showed they showed it on a delay which meant that i couldn't watch the ireland england game live which i was very baffled by but anyway um but (laughs) there it was weird um yeah what they're their commentary is obviously very much a my first rugby game kind of vibe. Yeah. But, and they, you know, it's it's not even it's not even to the level where I would say like the NFL is over here, where like most people kind of are aware of it now and are a little and quite a decent number of people kind of get it on some level and it's quite normal. It's like rugby is incredibly niche over there. Yeah, like, I mean, it's. I think you was. I mean, it's sort of. It's a shame, I suppose. The um, the way that it's covered over there, because it's covered in that American excitable way that sort of verges on WWE smack talk almost with the way that they they summarize things at halftime, and that's not really something we're into, um, particularly over here. But it, I don't know, it might add something. I suppose sort of. <laughs> Build up the rivalries. Um, the the other thing that's sort of rumored, I think, or has come out earlier, this is is that CVC are now circling the Pro 14 to take a minority stake. Um, and clearly, and we'll get on to Wales in a minute, Josh. So I know you're desperate to speak about this. Um, oh yeah, I've not had enough talking about this. For <laughs> the last two days. Um, but yeah, obviously, there's um probably aside from Ireland and their secret. Um, bank of millions of pounds that everyone seems to be concerned about. Um, th- there is a need, I think. I think everyone would say there is a need for money, but it's. I don't know. I'm still really skeptical about what a private equity firm sees from a sport like rugby. I know they sell the, the, the rights, but I don't see what they can do any different to what, say, get, what a, a, a sort of a, a good marketing team could do themselves. I don't really understand how they're going to open up markets. In any other way than anybody else could. Well, they're they're going to open them up in the way that sort of, if you know, if we look at and most people have been, and it's probably quite a sensible thing is to look at the way that CBC, you know, CBC have done things in Formula One. The way that they open things up to new markets is effectively to sell them to dodgy regimes that (laughs) could do with a bit of a kind of you know a reputational overhaul by staging some glamorous global sport in their country and is that why is that why the premiership have been playing their games in america <laughs> that's exactly why yeah yeah <laughs> i mean that's ironically now that means that all pro 14 games are going to be played in dallas so uh, <laughs> you know wow but yeah or you know obviously well, yeah, or Qatar. Well, therein lies, you know, you look at the places that Grand Prix are now held um, compared to where they were pre-CVC. And there's a definite, you know, un, I'm being trite, but like they obviously target emerging nations that are 
looking to make themselves a thing on a global scale and they want to sort of do a bit of global reputation enhancing and what better way to do that than from in a formula one sense to host a, a really glamorous grand prix on a fancy track that shows off their country will it I be the same with rugby i don't know but that certainly seems to be their playbook well i'll tell you what seeing as they uh, took the sevens um you know the country that invented the game of sevens rugby <laughs> yeah you they've moved that off the world series haven't they yeah so they can go to uh ue and las yeah. vegas yeah and all of these yeah and, and the, you look at the way that this is actually probably the sevens tour is a very informative way of looking for, at where they will target and you know it probably will be the middle east it probably will be america i would be very surprised if they don't go for japan and for china as well as, as potential emerging markets but yeah it's I will not turn down CVC money if you know if it's offered to us as a league because frankly I think it's we're in a bit of an arms race now. It. Yeah, and if if the Premiership is going to get given a load of money by CVC, then we also need to have that as well. Otherwise, we're just going to get left behind in terms of what we can do with our financial resources. But it doesn't make me feel pretty very good about rugby. I'll say no, that. no. I mean, the other thing to say is, in terms of how you fix or sort of level the playing field in the Pro 14 in the way that, I mean, I know the stories come out this week about the premiership and the salary cap and the ways that teams may or may not be getting around that. Mm. Um, Jim Houghton's tweet earlier today was very interesting about um, sort of saying that, that Saracens are very good at looking after players in, in retirement think some of that was in uh, quotation marks um which may suggest that a lot of the, the way around the salary cap is just to give you a very large pension on retirement yeah well isn't he one of the people who supposedly had a house bought for him by size? i would imagine so it looked like a very nice he now has a very nice house in edinburgh yeah i seem to they bought a house that he still owns mm. in um, they co-bought it with him as well as almost shot Brits. I think that was it was him anyway. But um, yeah, that sort of thing. I've got no problem with teams looking after players and help setting them, helping themselves set themselves up for retirement. But it isn't the same when it's setting themselves up when the club is setting you up for retirement by setting you up with something on the side. Yes, you know. Yes, it was a incidental benefits. That yeah, one? that's what we had. Yeah, that's what they can pay in the the new Scottish um, yeah, sort of semi pro league. Yeah, that you can um, below that now they're getting rid of professionalism in Scottish rugby below the semi professional super six, and you can only pay players expenses and incidental benefits. Mm. Mm-hmm. Yeah, mm. <laughs> yes, many many a shady spreadsheet will be drawn up. <laughs> Honestly, though, shady spreadsheets and boot money just makes me feel incredibly nostalgic for the grand old days of rugby union so i say crap on <laughs> exactly i mean but that's that's the point do you think in the pro 14 ian that there needs to be a, a way of leveling i mean and we're about to talk about what's happening in wales but given the issues in wales given the way scotland have maybe struggled in the past i mean it it's maybe unfair on Ireland, but does there need to be something within the league now about levelling the playing field financially so that everyone's competing on a level footing? I think what there needs to be more than anything is 
transparency and therein lies the the thing that when you talk to Irish fans about these things <laughs> on the internet as I, as I am wont to do they tend to get very <laughs> narky and very defensive about that but the reality is you know I know exactly how much a Welsh region can spend on its wages mm. um, but equally I then don't know how much extra is coming from the union in terms of national deal contracts like and in the same way, the Irish provinces can say how much their playing budgets are, but that doesn't include central contracts, which are obviously an even larger portion of the expenditure because it's not even a 50-50 thing. Yeah. And I think before, ideally, in a perfect world, if you're all playing in the same league, there should be a salary cap for everyone. Mm-hmm. Because of the slightly fudged nature of the Pro 14 and its origins and its structure and all of that stuff, you know, there are a lot of different competing ideologies, agendas, and all of that stuff going on. And so it's unlikely that we'll ever get a situation where any Irish province agrees or the IRFU agrees for its provinces to adopt a salary cap that is, you know, realistic for, say, a Welsh region or an Italian team. Because the reality is that they're probably spending twice as much money as we are at the moment. Yeah. I suppose but you're I, right. Yeah, I, I get the point in terms of transparency. I'd, 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 like, I'd like some transparency just so that when people start beating, you know, the Scottish teams or the Italian teams or the Welsh teams or anybody else who happens to come in for not being competitive during the Six Nations, for example, or for, mm. you know, going out to Ireland and getting battered by the second team, you know, you can turn around and go, yeah, but they're spending X amount of money. Yeah. more than we are or it's in t- you know it's not totally beyond the realms of possibility they can turn around and go hang on they're not spending any more money than we are how have they got so many good players yeah. and and that will be a whole other problem but it would at least bring that sort of because there's always this kind of and I, I think it's probably a primarily a welsh thing but i don't know if it sort of as equally kind of applies in scotland as well but there's a sort of a persistent sort of sense within Welsh rugby and within Pro 14 fans who are Welsh that that league is sort of being run from Dublin with a bit of a Dublin bent to it. And it seems to not really be that bothered about things as long as things are going well for the Irish, you know? And I'm not sure, you know, I, I, I drift in and out of whether that's, you know, tin hat nonsense or not. Um, yeah, I think but... it's probably yeah. I think there's an element of tin hat nonsense to it because I do. I I went through a phase of having nothing nothing but spreadsheets tweeted at me by Welsh rugby fans in terms of where their BBC <laughs> license fee money was going, um, and why it was you know why were Scottish people paying for Scrum Five and why were they paying for poor coverage on BBC Alba, um, but. I think you're right on transparency because it's really, I mean, even from our point of view in Scotland, you you can't tell very easily, no. although people have tried, how much Scotland spend on No, it's their all players. guesses. And a lot of the players are, academy, you know, some especially with Glasgow and Embry, you get academy players drafted in and out during the season. So it's mm. it's hard. You, people have had a go and you can get a real a reasonable stab. And I don't think it's a lot more than the Welsh teams are spending particularly. It's just that we've got a central academy system. I suppose yeah. so. And 
and also, you know, about the only region that appears to be actually pay, you know, hitting the salary cap in Wales are the Scarlets. Nobody else is close, by what yeah. I understand. You know, so they, and because they can't afford it, <laughs> because they will not be able to keep the lights on otherwise. Um, and so, yeah, just because it's such a constant refrain that you know the Irish basically just use the league as a place to, you know blood their youngsters and put them against half-decent opposition so that they can continue the production line, yada, yada, yada. At least if there was some semblance of financial transparency from everybody involved, you might just get rid of some of those arguments that mm. I've literally seen people having for 10 years on Twitter now because I'm old. And, <laughs> like, just there's no sense in it if we're going to be a league that... If, if nothing in the last couple of days and week or so in Welsh rugby has taught me anything is that if you're not unified and if you're not all on the same page, then the wheels will start coming off pretty bloody quick. And regardless of what anyone thinks about premiership rugby and the way that they conduct themselves, those guys are all on the same page. Mm. Like they, they, they present a public unified front, regardless of how, you know, things go on, but, you know, there's a lot of arguments going on behind the scenes about ring fencing within the Prem at the moment. There's a lot of arguments going on about funding and salary caps at the moment, but they keep that behind closed doors. And when it comes to dealing with the RFU, when it comes to dealing with other entities, whether it be European rugby or whatever, they're united and they work together. And that's partly why they get such good results so often. Whereas you look at the way that the Pro 14 operates, there's a lot of vested interest and there's a lot of self-interest there. And I'm not sure that anybody is really thinking about the collective good at the moment and what's the greater good for the league that is the Pro 14 as much as they're thinking about what's best for Ireland, what's best for Scotland, what's best for Wales, what's best for Italy, what's best for South Africa. Yeah. And that's that for me is a problem to the Pro 14's long-term viability. It's, um, yeah, it, it, it's an interesting... Um... Because Scotland years ago um, had Embrow on a franchise almost and then had to bring it back mm. in-house basically because these two brothers had the franchise and went and signed Stephen Larkin without having any money to actually <laughs> pay him in essence. I remember that. And then yeah. you know it was brought back in-house by the SRU and then one of the brothers wrote a, a tell-all book about shady dealings at the SRU. So yeah, it's I, I think I suppose from a Scottish point of view everything's in-house. It's so everyone has to be singing from the same page, although Glasgow and Edinburgh fans will repeatedly argue that they are the poorer <laughs> poorer cousin or the poorer brother within that arrangement. Yeah. Um, in terms of... Where... You look from an outsider, you look at that Scottish rugby and you think, you know what, like for all of the, you know, not the Scottish rugby is without issues by any stretch of the imagination, but it does feel like there is a a unity of purpose that has enabled, you know, where you guys are at the moment, where, you know, you've, you've been able to, uh, I wouldn't ask Keith Russell about that. To be honest. <laughs> well, there, yeah. Aside from things like that, where that sort of stuff comes, cause that was quite, that was shocking for us outside because it's like, Oh, Scottish rugby always seems like those guys are kind of all on the same page and they know what they're doing. And here it is looking like it's complete shambles behind the scenes. So yeah. Uh, the, the, yeah. Well, you know, there was a, a massive shambles to begin with. Then Dawson came in. I thought, all right, he's actually clear enough about the shambles. Uh, and, you know, I think, to be fair to him, he has done. And um, he gets a lot of stick, which I think is maybe unnecessary. 
Uh, but then that whole Keith Russell affair, that was... We've gone over this before. Let's skip on. Yeah, I mean, it's the same. It's essentially the same thing that's happening in Wales. It's happening in Scotland. Just not. It's not as drastic in that there's a war between the clubs and union. Um, so, in terms of Wales, then Josh, Project Reset, which yes. sounds like a rejected name from an apprentice team, <laughs> absolutely does. Um, uh, and to be honest with you, I'm not entirely convinced that a bunch of <laughs> apprentice candidates would do. A- better or like worse job than what the WIU has done yes. with this whole shambles. So so in essence it's come out sort of uh, in the last few days that the plan is now to have four regions in Wales, am I right, with an, but having one in the north and merging Scarlet and Ospreys. Is that well, in essence I mean when well I mean it depends on have you looked on the internet in the last twenty minutes because honestly <laughs> That was Everything. where we were at lunchtime. This time, when, yeah, well, last thing. When I recorded the uh, the Blood and Mud podcast with Lee last night, um, that afternoon, I'd sort of gotten myself ready to do a polemic about how the Ospreys were going to effectively be wound up uh, one way or another and would cease to exist. Then by the time, you know, three hours later, the podcast started, the Ospreys were merging with the Scarlets in a sort of weird forced shotgun wedding of a kind of hybrid region thing. Um, And that was the case until this morning, or at least this afternoon, where (laughs) the Ospreys have basically gone, you know what, f*** all this, we've had enough, and have (laughs) resigned from the uh, professional game board, which is supposed to be the uh, entity that has the WRU and the four regions on where they're supposed to talk about stuff. The Osprey's chairman has uh, resigned this afternoon and resigned from the professional game board, um, has basically said that they're not merging with the Scarlets, or they're, they're up for it, but there's nothing signed yet. But they basically are calling the WRU a disgrace. They're calling for the whole thing to be um, investigated by um, lawyers to show that the WRU has basically been working actively against the regions by going behind their backs and encouraging the other region, like each region, to effectively sell the other regions out in the hope that they don't get canned, which uh, is pretty much exactly what most of us thought was going on anyway. Yeah. But um, it's pretty striking to see Wales's most successful region in a club, in a region statement, effectively accuse the WRU of trying to get the regions to basically rat the other one out, which is... Pretty grim. I've also got the Ospreys um, statement in front of me, and uh, the one bit that is in bold is the Ospreys are not on the verge of merging with the Scarlets. Yeah, I think from what I've heard, and you know, I I, I don't know everything about anything to be honest. You know, I, I I'm not one of those people that proclaims to be on the inside, but from what I've heard, the Ospreys and Scarlets have got a merger on the table as a sort of last resort thing um, because, you know, nobody wants to go bust um, or be left out in the cold. But as far as the Ospreys were concerned, that was kind of like on the back burner in case everything else went tits up. But what seems to have happened is that somebody has got a bit keen somewhere and gone, oh, we like this plan. Let's say this is happening. And it's all kind of gone a little bit too fast. Um the full comfort of some people especially with the way that it's been portrayed in the media um and from certain quarters that 
the scarlets would effectively be absorbing the ospreys um which given that you know it's the equivalent of glasgow absorbing edinburgh or vice versa you yeah. know went over like a fart in a lift yeah i mean it was interesting Edinburgh. that warren gatland has come out today and said that the proposals haven't been driven by the wru so is is there some sort of <laughs> welsh rugby illuminati zionist <laughs> conspiracy then well that's the thing the, the, what he's saying you know what gatland's saying without actually saying what you the the whole picture i think is that yeah you know the Ospreys and scarlets did decide unilaterally that if there was no other option that i think that they would merge but as that solves a lot of the problems for the wru and the professional game board they've basically gone right now that you boys have agreed that in principle let's just tell everyone that's happening instead of sort of leaving it on the back burner of something that will happen in you know a year's time or something like that so yeah there's, there's an awful lot of <laughs> people saying an awful lot of things that totally contradict each other and the, i think the reality of the situation is that welsh rugby has been broken since 2003 when the regional rugby thing came in it was handled badly it, they didn't do a good enough job of it the first time around and they've been effectively fudging it ever since mm. and it's finally you know they've kicked the can down the road so many times now um that it's no longer fungible to keep kicking it and somebody's got to deal with it and martin phillips the current chairman of the wiu who came in um in 2015 has sort of publicly talked a lot about you know, working together and basically everybody's sort of sticking together and and creating a solution together that works the best for Welsh rugby and, and being very conciliatory and being very sort of publicly at least very friendly towards the regions and sort of trying to distance himself from the Roger Lewis era where it was all out war all the time because, you know, he was basically a tyrannical dictator. And But I think what's come apparent in the last couple of days for most regional fans is that Phillips's kind of approach hasn't really changed from the, you know, the WIU's approach has always been that they want to control all four regions. They want to take over, you know, they've already taken over the dragons, you know, they are very, very close to having a sort of majority controlling relationship with the blues. They, they want to control those four regions in the same way that Scotland and Ireland do, because mm. it gives them the, the flexibility to do what they want with them effectively. Yeah. Um, but he's done it in a bit more of an insidious way than, uh, <laughs> than his previous, uh, previous people in the role were. And I think that's in many ways kind of made the situation even worse because it was sort of like every, all of the sort of talk for the last six months about project reset has been, Oh, it's all you know going to be really good. And every, all the talks are proceeding really well. And they're just trying to ratify everything and everybody's like, and then two weeks ago, it comes out with, yeah, we're putting a region at the north and one of you is going to get f***ed off. Yeah, and it just seems... That kind of came out of nowhere. <laughs> it just seems... I mean, aside from the issue... I, know, I, I mean, I don't know Wales particularly well, but from what I, I saw one of Lee's tweets, I think, last week, suggesting that North Wales is not perhaps the rugby hotbed no. well, that it... other areas of Wales might be. It's not... Like, and therein lies the... Uh the issue with the whole North Wales thing. And that, and that is the other thing that sort of, it's long been a kind of 
vanity project come sort of well-meaning thing that they've wanted you know since the dawn of regional rugby they wanted to put a region in the north but the reality is there's only a couple hundred thousand people in north wales it's incredibly spread out the you know the logistical and transport links are extremely poor the only sort of suitable stadium they've got up there is in colwyn bay which is a town of 25,000 people that doesn't have a lot of other people around it, you know, only about 100,000 people tops. And they don't have any real... There are rugby clubs in North Wales. People do like rugby. People play rugby. But, you know, it's not... They don't have the population density or the history um, that the South does in terms of, you know, something like more than half of the squad from uh, this year's Six Nations were born in or around Swansea. And <laughs> more people were born in New Zealand in our current squad than were born in, say, Newport. Um, and nobody was born in North Wales. Yeah. George North is from up there, but he wasn't born up there. No, was he not and that, North? It's, it's, it's a problem. Yeah, he's born in Kingsland, wasn't he? Yeah, yeah, he's born in Kingsland. Like Ali Price. Yeah. Ali Price. Yeah, I got letters. I got letters for Absolutely. suggesting. I once got a letter for when I said that Ali Price was from Norwich. People very, oh. very, very specific oh, about their oh, Norfolk oh, geography. Norwich, man. Um, I mean, the, 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 I suppose we, we we'll go on then to the. Yeah, I mean, obviously, so... the, the mood in the current Wales camp is not um, is not good. I think Ken Owen has pretty, who's the president of the Welsh Players Rugby Players Union, effectively has come out and just said it's the worst yeah. situation he's ever been in as a professional. Player, see now, yeah. Now I'm concerned. What's going to happen here is that Wales are going to feel galvanised by this because uh, I think there's 13 players uh, from the Ospreys. Uh, don't know how many from Scarlets either. Uh, um, yeah, I, 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 I did. I worked it out earlier and then I forgot it. There That's is, uh, yeah, 13 members of the squad um, are from Ospreys or Scarlets, so including. Uh, yeah, Rob Evans, Ken Owens, Adam Beard, Alan Wynne Jones, uh, Justin Tipperich, Gareth Davis, Adley Parks, John Davis, uh, George North in the starting 15 yeah. are all, oh. you know, all effectively have no idea where they're going to be playing next season or you know if what, they're uh, still going to get their mortgages paid in a couple of months' time. You know what I enjoyed was seeing on the, uh, when BBC had took the, um, the arc off about Wales announcing their team, they had mm. George North at Scarlet's. Um, they've been a bit preemptive. Um, yes, a little bit. It's a little bit soon for that. I mean, I know it. It, it might happen, but uh, yeah, it's it's one of those things where it could galvanise. And very few coaches in the world are better than Gatland as sort of creating a siege mentality and creating a sort of and removing distractions and getting players to focus and play for themselves. But I think that even for his skills, this is something totally you know it would have been bad enough if the only thing we'd heard this week was what happened yesterday evening with the merger but now that it's all been thrown into even more chaos like i genuinely don't understand how any of those wales players that are affected by that can really be focused in the way that they need to be in yeah. this game i hope I, they are i actually, I actually but, think with the um with the osprey's announcement that um you know, guys like Alman Jones. Alman Jones is just a leader of men in the sense that, yeah. uh, you know, like Paul O'Connell yeah. or, um, you know, David Soule used to be for us. Um, you know, I think um, 
you know, this bad news that they've been hit with in terms of their professional employment, I don't think that's going to affect them on their way to what they have in mind right now, which is game against Scotland and a Grand Slam. I profoundly hope so, but at the same time, they've spent most of the last week in and out of meetings with the Players' Union and with the WIU and with the regions, trying to get some semblance of, you know, there's been talk that Wales players have been seeking psychological counselling because of the general's genuine stress that this and the disruption that this is causing them from a personal point of view. You know, these are boys that we sort of don't talk about it in rugby very often, you know, because the nature of the sport is a little bit insecure. But like, you know, these are players that are in, you know, quite a few of them are in their 30s or in their late 20s. You know, someone like Alan Jones won't have a problem finding somewhere to play next season if the Ospreys go under. Don't get me wrong. But not knowing where your paycheck is going to come from in two months' time, not knowing if the club that you've represented for 14 years is going to continue to exist next season, is all of these things are hugely <laughs> beyond the realms of normal distractions in what would be a normal test match week. And it's the only, it could only happen in Wales. Yeah, I think the I think the the, the, the worry only, I've only we are stupid enough to do this. <laughs> I think I I take I I sort of agree with Ian though. I think if if you were any other country, if you didn't have with any other coach, I think you're absolutely right, George. I think I think it's all going to fall apart. I think I am very pessimistic that about Scotland's chances because I think if it, if it does galvanise the Wales team in terms of, well, let's stick two fingers up to the WRU and do this for us, which I think Gatlin's is capable of, I think that I that think he's capable of galvanising them that way. I don't think Scotland have the mental resilience to withstand that. Or to play I think that's the thing, even. I think we'll know very, very quickly at the weekend yeah. how how it's all gone, effectively. Yeah. <laughs> like, whether Gatland has actually managed to somehow do one of the all-time great fucking acts of motivational teamsmanship and pull this squad into some semblance where their heads are ready to play this game. Mm. Because it's, you know, it's a comical level of off-field nonsense that they're having to deal with. Who, You know, Owen Farrell's not getting up in front of the press today and having to talk about you know, whether his team is going to exist next season or, you know, all of this nonsense, you know, nobody, you know, Greg is not having to do that. It's like, why on earth are we in a position where that's happening? Welsh rugby, stupid. Yeah, we discussed, but um, it's, <laughs> yeah, if he does, I think well, if Wales come out firing and they come out hard and they're hitting the collisions and they are, you know, really causing Scotland problems up front physically, that to me will say pretty early on that they've, you know, Alan Wynne Jones has basically gone and managed to pull their heads into a place where they're ready for it. But I just think with everything else that's going on, if Scotland start quick and if yeah. Scotland can get a try or two on the board, then everything else that's happened this week will kind of end up being cumulative. Yeah. And I th I think that's the sort of that's the thing as a Wales fan that concerns me is that just with the level of problematic stuff going on behind the scenes, how focused 
were they in prep? How for, you know they did a masterful job in terms of preparation and tactics against England. Um, have they had time to do that in the last couple of weeks? Yeah, I'm not sure. I, I, I so, don't. But I, I don't, don't know. Yeah. I mean, there's this this whole sort of thing about Gregor Townsend and putting together sort of various way you know there's talk of having a huge playbook that he gives to players before every game about the different things they're going to do and different players they're going to run and varying the lines of attack but i that only gets you so far and i think you i think you're right josh i think if 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 scotland come out the traps quickly and they can play quick rugby and get round the corner and and and, and get a couple of tries in that's fine but i I don't think Scotland have, have mentally got them. There's been a lot of talk about them having words with each other and Gregor Townsend doing as much of a hairdryer treatment as he's capable of after the France game. But we, we've, I think without someone like a Ryan Wilson out there getting in, there's a lot to be said for having a player that gets in faces and Scotland don't have that. Absolutely. Scotland completely lack that. I mean, Hamish Watson's back and he plays, he doesn't get in people's faces, he annoys players, I think. And that's, there's that, Gets you quite far. Uh, yeah, I, I don't think it'd be, I don't think it'd be understated how massive having Mish back is for Scotland this week because he's a, a, a horrible player to play against. Yeah, and I think um, him and him and Jamie Richards together, very very good on the deck, and he's very very good at disrupting ball. But because he, yeah, and but at the same time he's such a a dynamic ball carrier, and that's something that. When he's not in the Scotland team, they just don't have, and it's a problem that Wales have as well, to be honest, is that that lack of a really destructive, really dynamic ball carrier really puts you on the back foot a lot of the time. And particularly if, as you say, you're trying to sort of do these very intricate, very pre-planned set moves, you've got to be on the front foot to do it. And I think that they've missed that level of front football that he seems to offer. Ian, you've um, we've talked a lot about Johnny Gray on the podcast, and this week Jim Telfer essentially said that Johnny Gray's workmanlike and soft. <laughs> yes, God, uh, Jim's a bit early. This he usually saves his broadside for the England week. So yes. I mean, clearly he was just we've a wheeled him out. We've wheeled him out early, Ian. Um, <laughs> yeah. what, what's your take on this, Ian? No, I think that was that was Jim Lowe's fault, wasn't it? Um, yeah. No, no, man. Johnny Gray seems to get just a lot of abuse from us. Uh, well, not from us in particular, just more from Scotland fans. Uh, we recognise his fantastic work rate. Um, but, you know, I am starting to see this kind of sense, as I did back in uh, when Glasgow qualified for the quarterfinals. What year was that? That was when I was 35, so it was 2017. Um because the guys like Alloy and USA, Cummings, Swinson, they all had to go and get like long-term injury problems. Mm. So Johnny Gray played like week after week. You could see he was knackered. This guy's yeah. been playing for as long as I have uh, had a season ticket. You know, he's been playing from the age of 18 onwards. Yeah. He's still only 25 years old. He's got so many rugby minutes under him. Um, you know, I, th- I think the criticisms of him are like far over exaggerated. Um, it's when we look at what our alternatives are. Uh, we've got well, Gilco is you know usually alongside him. Mm. I'm quite 
quite surprised Richie Gray's maybe not been called in because he's now gone through three games without being injured, which is uh, basically <laughs> a Richie Gray record. Um, Sam Skinner's back in. Uh, Toulouse, I'm still not convinced by him at international level. I, he likes to, but in the to respond to Telfer's comments a little bit, I think Toulouse does like to put himself about a little bit, which is yeah, but, quite you can be quite useful at times. Yeah, but to like in actual terms of like making tackles or carries, he's doing yeah. all work. Um, yeah, fair one. Ryan Wilson, you know, he's going to be annoying folk and uh, breaking their f- noses, and yeah. uh, then you know you'll put his tackles in. Um, carrying wise, you're not going to get much. Of him. You know, we always go on about this the fact that we're carrying number eight. Mm. Uh, but you know, if Wilson's, Wilson's a, a work rate guy, um, and it's all about how we blend our back row, and if Watson's back, that's going to be fantastic. Yeah, I'm quite. I think it'd be good if what 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 you get Watson Richie. Yeah, if you get Watson Richie, and then it's going to be interesting who he puts. Uh, whether or not Josh Strauss comes back in, because I wasn't particularly impressed with him against um, France. He did that thing where he just drifts out of ga- the game when he's not on the front foot. Um, are you looking at? You thinking Matt Ferguson? Possibly Matt Ferguson. What I'd like to see is more of of yeah. Gary Graham because in terms I like of Gary Graham a lot. In ter- yeah, in terms of the the. the- Scotland are looking for, I think he could fulfil that role very well, more so than Ryan Wilson, because that little nudge on uh, Intermac was was exactly the sort of thing that Scotland aren't good at and that's, we need somebody to do that, is just sort of, you know, when you're coming through to block a kick, just catching the player very slight, not enough to you know, Warren. Yeah, don't concede the penalty. No, but just just enough just to let them know you're there and that's, I don't think we... Go on, Ian. So, sorry, I don't think that's enough just to, like, give him a, a straight inclusion. Um, I mean, but, you've, you know, we've got Mish back, uh, Matt Fagerson as well. You know, if Gary Graham's just playing for Newcastle, he's been a bit of a nuisance, um, and he has basically uh, just an open side replacement. Yeah. So if you've got. You know, I'd put Matt Ferguson in there. He had a great game. Um, but look, who we got now? We've got Mish Bradbury. Bradbury's not injured again, is he? No, 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 no. no he's not injured. Nope. But to be, I can understand how Richie. you guys are struggling to keep track of who's injured. And who's not <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> we've got, we've actually got a post on the website that says has a list of all the current <laughs> injured Scotland players that went up last week. <laughs> like, are we actually going to get to see George Horn this tournament? Well, he's done his shoulder, hasn't he? So, uh, no. So, uh, Josh, if you've not seen enough of George Horn yet, tell you what, this boy's going to be an absolute legend. Honestly, I really, really like him. And, like, you know, I Brilliant. I think he, you're not short of creative kind of fly-offs come centres at the moment. And it's the, the question will be when they all come good. How are you going to fit them all into a team? You know, yeah. we've talked about yeah, that. One of, almost... Can one of them be? A, can one of them be a and play number eight? <laughs> it's kind of what, well. We've got quite in terms of back rows. There's a lot coming through. They're just mm. we've we've talked a lot on the podcast about this idea of Scotland 3.0 because it's sort of Scotland 2.0 at the minute. The Vern Cotter yeah. sort of thing, and the the players that are below that that are coming through, 
if that clicks and if they all manage not to get career ending injuries, which knowing our luck they all will, um then we've potentially put but Japan is you know, the World Cup after Japan is the one that I think if 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 everybody develops as they are developing and goes well, Scotland could put together a potentially start challenging for the Six Nations post Japan. I don't, but they're not. Yeah, the, the young you players at, aren't blooded. They're, they're, yeah, they're, they're not. You know, the Stafford McDowells. They're, they're on the fringes of the squad, but they're not going to be ready for Japan. No, and you look at sort of the players that you've got who are, you know, getting on a bit effectively. There's not really that many that you can honestly say they're not going to be around in four years' time. You know, there's players like Maitland, I guess. Uh, probably, I mean, Maitland, Greg, Nell, Greg, obviously Maitland, Maitland Nell. I mean, Barkley. the Mish probably will be all right. Josh Strauss will be done by then. Uh, Swinson will be done by then. Strauss is just a kind of like emergency call-up. Yeah, exactly, yeah. and like, and some, you know, and Fraser Brown and McAnally will obviously both kind of be getting on a bit, but then you know, thirty-two for a hook is not beyond like, the realms was either. It Rory so. best thirty-six back, or something mad like that. Isn't yeah, it? exactly. He's yeah. Though, McAnally <laughs> <laughs> will be alright. I think Fraser Brown might be pushing it a wee bit. Yeah, you yeah, will be thirty. Ross Ford will still be there, I would imagine, <laughs> around the fringes. Inexplicably, um, getting his hundred and eighty-seventh. I mean, there's yeah. I just, I honestly think that, yeah, you're you're quite right to sort of think this is a process, and I think that as Scotland fans, it's it's hard because you've obviously got such a a great load of talent at your disposal at the moment, and you know the likes of Finn Russell, the likes of Hogg, the likes of Seymour and horn and uh, you know you look at all of these players and that's not even including the 7000 injured players that you've got at the moment like you you might it's, it's easy to sort of look at it and go why aren't we there yet you know yeah. and you kind of I, I i often make the analogy on like our podcast that like scotland under vern cotter kind of felt like Wales under kind of Graham Henry and Steve Hansen where like he was basically just having to break you down to your component elements and start again yeah and turn you into a professional top flight you know test level rugby outfit again and then we had sort of a bit of a weird period afterwards where things didn't necessarily go to plan and then in 2005 it all clicked and yeah. then obviously it went terribly wrong again. But, you know, <laughs> I mean, eventually it's... we got to the point where we are, you know, a solidly decent team all the time, and yeah. it's it's going to be that kind of level of process where it could take five years, it could take ten years, but you know, you look at the way that your development structures are at the moment. I think it's, it's there's definitely an upward trajectory that you guys are on. Yeah, I mean, it's interesting. Bruce McConaughey got in touch on Twitter. He said, uh, I mean, he, he did it as his hands in the ruck, but he um, was bringing up the the backlash against Greg Laidlaw um, as if he suddenly lost all his dynamic creativity. He said, this is wrong. He never had any. He was very oh, controlled, no. stable now, not a creative one. The only thing that he has varied was his delivery speed over the last few years. And I think it's like a reverse Batman. He's not the scrum half Scotland deserve. It's just the one that, that we need right now. We need some, we can't go all guns blazing with George Horn sort of, and Finn Russell all going mad at the same time we, yet. No, but we do. We need a lunatic. Like when, when we played Argentina away, 
we had uh, George Horn Hastings playing inside the shop. And mm. fair enough, it was an Argentina team that were in absolute shambles, you know, with their uh, whole manager issues. But those those two tore them apart. And they yeah, the they absolutely did. I mean, the... It was one uh, of the genuinely the most... I mean, as you say, Argentina were pathetic that day. But it, in terms of a, an attacking display at test level, like it was one of the better displays I've ever seen. They were, you know, you were scoring remember, tries from like everywhere. Just, just a few months before that, um, Glasgow had gone down to Ospreys during, uh, I think it was the Autumn Test Series. So obviously Glasgow were down to the bare bones. Mm. And again, it, it was Hastings and Horn that just yeah. tore I think that I think that was the first time that I saw Hastings and Horn. I was just like, bloody hell, this lot are yeah, rapid, seriously good, and yeah. it sort of reinforced that you know the kind of development pathway that you guys have there at the moment is is working because you're bringing through players of that caliber that can sort of sit on the bench. But then the small <laughs> problem is that uh, you know there's. Uh, Certain Scotland fans who, if Adam Hastings has two or three bad games, he's automatically the worst player in the world ever. <laughs> and should he's only got a Scotland cap because his dad's called Hastings. Yep. I mean, so, this lad is 22 it's, years it's, old at the end of the day. You know, this is his first full season as a star and standoff at Glasgow because he was like, you know, he's back up to Finn last year mm, before that and, Bath. And there was a talk, you know, there was talk that. You know, and he he was good in patches and good and not good in patches. And you know, a lot of people were saying, "What are Glasgow going to do without Finn?" Because he was such a a key fulcrum to the way that Glasgow worked. And you know, it seemed like so much of all of the good stuff that Glasgow did came directly through him. And it was a, how are we going to replicate that sort of vibe? Certainly, from an outside point of view, you're looking at it and going, you know, well, you know, they've got that Hastings lad and that Horn lad, but who knows? If, you know, they can't step. And it's a sort of, it's a testament to Dave Rennie and the system, really, that they can slot in and be excellent straight off the bat. Ian, I'm just, I'm going to put this to you because we've, um, before we go on to hands in the ruck, the, um, it looks like, and this is this is total speculation, but based on who has been put up for interview this week and the photographs coming out from the Scotland camp, it looks to me like Ali Price is going to start a scrum half. What would be your guess in terms of the captaincy then at the weekend? Oh, um, well, obviously the hog's out, so Kegney's going to play in at 15. Um, Maitland's been... Um, Injured, he's out of the squad today. Yeah, I, mm. to be quite honest with you, I thought he was... Like, I'm a big fan of Maitland. I thought he was terrible against France. Yeah. Um, he doesn't mean really carry on by any stretch. Yeah, no. Not, no. Uh, I watched the Sands of Hell at the weekend and he seemed to take a bit of, a, bit of whack when scoring his first try. Um, Is it McAnally? Well, Do you think we'll go with Captain. McAnally? Uh, yeah, I was going to say, it's going to be, it's going to be a ramble. I assume we'll be captain. Um, uh, yeah, so I think 9-10 might end up being Price Russell. Price Russell, yeah. Well, you're not going for the as there are some mad people are calling for Scotland just to throw on all the kids against. Uh, <laughs> albeit, we'd, be I, I, abs- I, we'd be absolutely delighted if you did that. <laughs> no, is it? Please, just please, by all means, do that. Throw all the kids on against a, dis- a depressed slash very angry Welsh side. Yeah, if nothing else, we'll know how to be absolute twats on the weekend. <laughs> like, 
regardless of how mentally all over the place they are, they will absolutely be up for taking their frustrations out in one way or another. Yeah, I think uh, we need to bring the most aggressive people that we have. Is, <laughs> is John Hardy alive yet? I don't know. <laughs> uh, John yeah. Hardy and uh, I don't know, Snake Plissken, maybe? Can we? Yeah. <laughs> Uh, this, is, this is going to be tough as nails. Um, I think it's well. I've said before, and um, you know, I, I stand by this till until the day that both of the, either of them retire. Finn Russell is more important than Stuart Hogg to the way that Scotland play. Mm-hmm. I completely agree. Yeah. Finn Russell. Finn Russell is the most important player in the Scotland team because he is. He's a mad genius. Um, yeah. You know. It's, he is, uh, I've said before, like, he is uh, he is my favourite player to watch in the world because you genuinely don't know what you're getting. Um, no, and that's the sort of thing that works very well against a team that's... Yeah, and it's the thing that works very well against a team that's as disciplined and as structured as Wales because you need yeah. a bit of lunacy to generally... Yeah. You know, particularly with the way that Wales have been defending in this tournament, you'll need something a little bit left field and a little bit unpredictable and a little bit strange yeah, to unlock that defence and he's exactly the person who can do it. I tell you what quite it's not doing... Quite often hear commentators uh, sorry but, but no, quite, hear, uh, quite often hear commentators saying about how um, like uh, Russell and Hogg have a sort of good link up when they're uh, you know they're, when once we're getting good front football and run through attacking phases but one thing that cannot ever be forgotten is like the Russell the Russell and Tommy Seymour hookup. They have scored mm. so many tries from little cross kicks, dink kicks. Um, I remember a try a couple of years ago against Ulster. We were losing the game at the point, and uh, we had to win this to... Um, this is at Scotland, obviously. We had to win this game in order to like go through to playoffs. And Russell plays this like, cross kick, and you're... <laughs> well, as is, you're with Finn Russell often. You've got your like head in your hands, like, oh my God, what's he done now? Tommy Seymour took it right on the gallop, stepped inside Craig Gilroy, and then like past Ludic and uh, I think Darren Cave. So I, I think it won try of the season. I mean, like mm. the the Russell and Seymour combo for me is a much bigger threat than Russell and Hogg. Yeah. So given that Hogg's out, you know we've got King on at the back. I think you have the ability that you know King on is going to be an absolute superstar, and yeah. having you know. Having somebody like him to fill in at fullback now and is is ridiculously good for you guys to have, you know. It's like Lee Williams and Lee Halfpenny, you know. It's uh, you know, yeah, two world class fullbacks, or do you have uh, Hog Kinghorn? It's uh, I, I'd see if I was picking a fullback for Wales, I'd, I'd maybe go with Halfpenny and put Williams on the wing. Yeah, I understand what I think the problem is that Josh Adams has played so well in this tournament that he has basically made himself uh-huh. undroppable, which is why. And to be honest with you, Liam Williams did something in the England game which I did not think he had in him, which is to exercise proper world class level test discipline in terms of his defence and his kicking yeah, game. Because I did not I did not think he had that in him. I, you know, he's he's always been a mercurial attacking guy, but there's always been questions about his position and, and how well he, you know, he's a good defender and he's good in the air, but how disciplined he can be. And he was immaculate against England. And yeah, it's a it's a good problem to have when you've got it, but 
yeah, I, I, in terms of Kinghorn coming in, for, he just seems to offer something different because he's such a big bloke. Yeah, you know, Hogs obviously not small, but Kinghorn is so big and so fast and such a balanced runner. Like coming in from from deep and at full back like that, he's a nightmare. I'm just big, looking forward to we. I'm looking forward to wee Darcy Green running through George North's legs. This weekend, that's what I'm looking forward to. Um, I'll get you. I'll get you to. Um, I'll get the highball. Yeah, I'll get you to um, to 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 put your uh, put your stake your guesses here, then, uh, gents. Um, Ian, how optimistic are you this weekend? What 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 do you think the outcome of the game is going to be? Um, the realist in me says that we also win by uh, just about a convert try, eight points between seven and ten points. Josh, uh, I think you're drastically underestimating you know, all at sea. We're all at at the moment, and I think it could be another bit of a. I don't think it's going to be a great game, but I think you might just have a little bit too much. And I'm going to say Scotland by three. Scotland by three. Um, yeah, I'm gonna. I think in terms of, we used to do head, heart, and ass for our predictions. Um, so I'm going to say my, my head says Wales, um, but we get a losing bonus point. Uh, my heart says Scotland with a try bonus point. And Ars says Scotland nil Wales. <laughs> well, I mean, we'll see. We'll see, we'll see. Um, we'll move on to hands in the ruck then. Um, Ian, I'm going to start with you because we, we can't, I know what your hands in the ruck is and um, we probably should cover this this week. Um, what is your hands in the ruck this week, Ian? All right. Well, um, I'm terribly sorry, Josh. I started listening to uh, your podcast yet, uh, on the way home, um, but it's it's the, uh, the World League. God, what a... Well, you said it was fair. This, <laughs> this thing's an absolute cluster it's, it's, it? it's, it's just it's ridiculous. It's so many bad ideas in one. It's impressive. Yeah. Like it's the sort of thing that almost feels like a sort of weird performance sketch because it's just <laughs> it's like they've tried to Pudding. Yeah, they've tried to put so many bad like it's like they've tried to see how many people they can <laughs> off with the least amount of effort. I think it's and, a bet. I think that Bill Beaumont has had a drunken bet with Gus Pichot at the buffet one night and just said, go on, Gus, right, go and say yeah, that, go that, and do this. But now Bill's had to come in and basically sort it all out, and he's fuming about that. Yeah. You know, he's he, he was just sitting there watching the gravy train, helping himself to the buffet, and now somebody's gone, oh, God, Bill, you're going to have to, Gus has taken it with his clothes on you can have to go out there and sort this out mate brett isn't being any help whatsoever here he's just looking at his hair in the mirror and combing it yeah it's it's about do you remember the bt advert back in the day with the french polishes it's like gus has had a party and scratched the table and that tweet that he put out saying i didn't mean to annoy anyone was his phone call to the french polishers saying quick before bill notices this is what i've said i think the um yeah i mean besides the fact that league of nations sounds like a the worst sort of Bond villain organisation in the world. Um, it's I thought it was not the World League. Yeah, the League of Nations is what they set up that was a precursor to the UN after oh, the that's, First yeah. World War. <laughs> that, is that not what they're calling the, it, though? Um, no, that's I, the football thing they're doing. With uh, the, uh, that's the Nations League, isn't it? Oh, f***ing hell. Yeah, God knows. <laughs> it's... It doesn't sound like it's happening anyway. 
I think that if this is all just a, basically a gigantic bait and switch where they've leaked the most unpalatable <laughs> thing imaginable so that when the actual plan is revealed, people will go, well, I don't like it, but it, at least it's better than that <laughs> terrible idea. That yeah. At least they haven't shut out every one of the emerging, most, you know, promising emerging nations on the planet uh, for 12 years. I mean, it's not that bad. What drove what what drove me mad was the instant speculation on Twitter from a load of people claiming to be in the know that Scotland, it was Scotland that had called for a scrap to relegation just purely on the basis <laughs> that we that would be something we might be worried about. Yeah. Yeah. Is that movie Phil Brimby? It seems very Scotland-y to me, yeah. No, it, that was weird. I mean, the only people that should be worried about relegation from that thing are, you know, America and Japan, if yeah. they're going to be in it. It's, oh, it's just such a bad idea, such a badly thought-out idea. And the fact that they claimed that Gosper had the absolute bare-faced cheek to claim that they'd like focus group it <laughs> everyone's really enthusiastic it's like who the hell did you focus group well it's the, it the, the word in it was in... Johnny Sexton yeah. Johnny Sexton and Owen Farrell and Kim Reed like who the what <laughs> and I ask us man he it's, talked it's... about it in, in big markets or something so the only thing I can think of they went and spoke to a lot of very confused Americans yeah and said does the, does this make sense to you? And handed them the current structure of the global rugby test calendar, and they went no, because it doesn't make sense to anybody. And then they went here. Here's this thing that makes slightly more sense, but you have no further context for. And they went, well, that seems like a good idea. Yeah, we understand this now. Yeah, I've yet <laughs> to see. I've yet... At least has some logic to it now. Yeah, but oh no, never mind. I've yet to see anybody tweet anything or say anything positive about it that isn't somehow attached to or <laughs> tarred by the uh, association with the idea. It's really interesting, isn't it? Like, it's rare that, like, particularly in the sort of Twitter sphere, every you know rugby, tr- you know, truly is a world in union. You know, and. I mean, you'd think at least, J- at least, rugby. yeah, at least JB from Egg Chasers would, you know, have a crack at it because he normally likes yeah. to contrary opinions. Yeah, yeah, JB is is the arch contrarian, and even he in this situation <laughs> couldn't go well. Uh, yeah, it, you know, when JB is not defending something for the sake of defending something, that you've re- you've screwed the pooch pig style there. Yeah, it's yeah, it's <laughs> it's it's amazing. I've never seen something unite the rugby world like the absolute universal disdain that this thing did I did, well there was there was that video John did about booing kickers um, <laughs> oh yeah <there> <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah um, Josh did you have a chance to have anything that, that's had your hands in its hands well, in your rock there's one thing that, I mean it doesn't take much as anybody that listens to Blood and Mud every week will know but there was one thing that I didn't talk about on our podcast this week that ground my gears a little bit and that was anyone see the end of uh Leicester Wasps on the weekend where basically with the clock in the red Wasps looked to have scored a try but because the referee wasn't sure about the grounding they he did the whole try yes or no thing and because the TMO couldn't find anything either that was the end of the game and Leicester won and as a neutral, I'm just sitting there and just thinking, 
how do we allow this as a, a satisfactory end to a game? Like, they've basically gone, we don't know what happened here. A team might have scored. And if this were any other time in the game, they'd get another go. But because it's the end of the game and we decided this, that we neither of us know what's happened here, we'll just knock it on the head and go home. And, a, yeah, that can't be I mean, it's struck, right. It's like, it's, it's like that, that's not like... <laughs> That doesn't make any sense whatsoever. It's one of those and annoying. Yet, it's it one of those annoying things that you think it, it, it it's going to take it happening in an in an international match for them to do something it about it. Is. If this happens on the weekend, there will you know it will be changed by the start of the season next season. You know, in the same way that the whole fox thing happened with Italy and England a couple of years ago, it's one of the funniest things I've ever seen. And oh, the whole uh, knock on. Yeah, uh, the, yeah, the whole. The whole the hold off, the hold off. Yeah, the, you know there was that thing. There was yeah, there was Italy, uh, you know, being constantly not offside but offside, and England not being able to cope with it, and instantly the rules change. Um, but this sort of happens on a, you know, the fact that it's it's my main bugbear with the TMO is that the the referees still have the ability to say I haven't got a clue what happened there. What do you think? <laughs> the good news it's for totally you. So, yeah, the good news for you, Ian, your favourite TMO, Ben Skeen, is uh, in charge this weekend. Oh, good. Oh, for f- <laughs> Right, can I, can I get a f- full-on f- swear in now? You can, you can have a second hands in the ruck, because yeah. just purely on Ben Skeen, Ian, I'll allow it. Ben Skeen's a <laughs> <laughs> I'm so pleased I wasn't the first person to drop the C-bomb on this podcast. <laughs> that, 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 he's a f- duck. Yeah, he's I, like I, yeah. I, my favourite CMO not... is still George Ayub, just because he wears wonderful headwear. <laughs> <laughs> remember, when he wore that, remember when he wore that trilby for Ireland uh, for Ireland France a few years ago? And it, <laughs> it cut to him in the booth, and he was just sitting there wearing a trilby, and that instantly I was just like. And when you see him as a fourth official in Super Rugby games, he's still wearing that goddamn trilby. I That's respect it, you know, that, shit out of that. I think if you're going to be a TM or do it, do it in style. You know, you yeah. you, you can wear whatever you want. Yeah, it's like there's nothing that says you have to dress in any other way than incredibly sartorially magnificently. So why not just go with it? Yeah, I like the um, the guy the um, the um, the Scotland France game with essentially the TMO almost having to beat up the French director to show him the right replay for the <laughs> knock on. <laughs> Yeah. Is it go back? No, enjoy, not that one. That one. Yeah, I enjoy a nakedly biased, uh, you know, broadcast truck and the, and that that level of sort of weird one like battle that has to bafflingly go on because why can't they just call that shit up themselves? I don't know. It's weird. Yeah. But, I've not even had a chance to uh, call out Carlo Cana's moustache and his kick in the face on Dossery. Yeah, that was a maneuver, wasn't it? Let's be yeah. honest. Uh, also, that is a moustache. <laughs> it's fucking ridiculous. It doesn't look like somebody that should be even trying to grow a moustache. I know. Th- I think especially See, now, I've seen him without without the uh, scrum cap on. He has a little uh, rat chin thing. I don't even oh, know you saw no. that. Mm. Oh, yeah. Yeah, it looks terrible. I mean, especially and the obviously... standard the standard of moustaches in the Glasgow side. That's like bringing a knife to a gunfight. <laughs> yeah, I mean, you look at Ray. Yeah, don't bring Ray, that Ray shit Jackson. Here. Ray Jackson's just got one of the most glorious tashes you've ever seen. It's like a Magnum PI with on crack, basically. <laughs> it's, uh, it's magnificent. 
Um, he's basically he's one of the most most like surprisingly hirsute men you'll have I've ever seen. It's like he doesn't look like a man that should be able to grow a proper sea captain's beard, but <laughs> he absolutely can, yep. and he absolutely wears it. He owns it very well. He looks he looks like and is a man who owns a gym gin company. I mean, yeah, that's exactly what a, any. You know, I think they basically, when you start a gin company, they hand you a little thing of moustache wax and say, crack on me. Yeah, <laughs> and a comb. Don't forget yeah, the comb. Yeah, don't forget the comb. My hands in the ruck this week is that the SRU have continued with their insistence to play um, youth games behind closed doors. Um, you might not be aware of this, Josh. It was a few months I'm ago. Not. Why is that a thing? <laughs> well, exactly. It's weird. Off basically, the offside line, um, which is a very good uh, rugby website in Scotland, um, went along to try and cover. I think it was Scotland under 19s versus Australia under 19s, which was at the Orium in Scotland, and were <laughs> told by the they told the press team they were going, and then was said you can't report on this, and we're almost we're asked to leave, and they said, well, can we stay and watch? And they were like, yeah, you can stay and watch because it was open to the public, but they weren't allowed to report on it. And there was somebody's posted something on the Scottish Rugby Forum saying that they aren't even allowed to... They've had girls, I think. They haven't said girls, but I'm guessing from other things I've read that there was a number of... A, a young a Scotland girls team have been out and played a match somewhere in Scotland and not even the clubs can say that they've had representatives at it, either on their website or on social media or in the pre- local press or anything. It's, it's a complete blackout. So these games are happening evidently, but no one's allowed to say, oh, look, we, we as a club have, have brought through that player and now they're representing Scotland at age grade because they're doing these weird behind... Well, they're not even behind closed doors because yeah. parents can go to them. They're open to the public from what I understand. No, Restricted. It's mad. We, this seems we, mad to me. We don't want to raise the profile of the game. That's just that. God no! Why would you want to do that? I think that the the theory is behind. Well, I think the one thing that came out of the offside line incident is that they don't want to put pressure on the youngsters. Okay, which is we put our we put our under eighteen matches on telly. <laughs> like they're on S four C. Nobody watches them, but they're still on there. Yeah, I mean, I get sort of at younger. I know, like with the younger age groups, when it's not like representative size, just they go, they do a lot of sort of, you know, you get points for fair play. They go and play these mini tournaments. Mm. Now you get points for fair play, and they, it's not necessarily about the winning, and that's fine for the sort of yeah, participation element of it. But if you're going to an age, if you're an age grade representative, you must have some aspirations of playing at international level or even professional level yeah. one day. So you are at some point going to be exposed. To that, so the earlier so the better. Winning and losing, yeah. yeah. Winning and losing, and, and people writing about it. Yeah, and you know, I'm not being funny, but there will there will be a, a strange audience for it, regardless of how minor it will be. You know, people will want to go and watch it. I, you know, in my darker moments, I've sat and watched <laughs> Wales College's rugby on S4C when I've had nothing else to do at half past eleven on a Wednesday night, because it's still rugby and I'll watch it and there are a lot of people like that out there I know <laughs> and, and it's not I don't well, I don't well, think well, there's a huge George got found yeah yeah exactly and I don't think there maybe that's why Scotland not in, the Welsh, not in Welsh colleges rugby you didn't mate but maybe that's maybe that's why none of this is going on because um, in the uh, arms race of capturing players ever younger players I'm convinced Eddie Jones is going to call up a sperm one day um, maybe that's why they're playing these games behind closed doors. But it just, yeah, it's it's mad, and I can't. I think it just. 
I, I think it's crazy that, that someone somewhere thinks that some mean-hearted spirit of <laughs> is going to write a sort of absolute scathing report about a 14-year-old. Yeah. Yeah, it's not really... It's not how to make your name as a sort of wannabe rugby writer, is it? It's to absolutely savage a bunch no. of teenagers. I've never seen... I mean, even... I've never seen... I don't. I think, aside from the time I gave every not out of 10 after the England match two years ago on the blog, I've never seen a Scotland team particularly savaged by any of the Scottish press anyway, well, and that's you know, it. John, John Anderson gave... Uh, he hit a bunch of not out of 10s for the uh, well game against Wales last year. But still, grown-ups, you know? Yeah, exactly. They Different. can take yeah. <laughs> um, Anyway, on that note, uh, that's it for this week. Um, a quick couple of shout-outs to um, Velvet Thunder, who said he'd seen the Scotland women's team having breakfast in the Village Hotel uh, the morning before training. Didn't say what they'd had, though, which is disappointing. That's disappointing. You and want that detail, we want that you? detail. Uh, Ian Wallace, a regular contributor to the uh, podcast um, with his uh, shout-outs, saw Big Bill Matter shopping in Tesco's. Um, I did ask him what he'd bought, but he said just he had a couple of bags. He didn't say what was in them, which I thought was really unlooked. I know. Um, and John Barkley got on his bus because Ian's a bus driver in Edinburgh and asked for directions, I think, as well. Um, didn't say again, didn't say where he was going, but Ian's a bus driver, so I would assume that's covered by GDPR. Yeah, I mean, I'd have, I'd have assumed that John Bartley was a sort of get an Uber kind of guy, but so fair play to him for being a man of the people, you know? Yeah. Um, but that is it from this week. From us, we will be back next week, I think on Wednesday next week, um, uh, depending on how things work out. Uh, Josh, thank you very much for coming on. and um, Thank you very much for having me, gents. Talking about what's going on in Wales. Um, yeah. Hopefully, Another therapy session, yeah. Yeah, um, hopefully you've got a club <laughs> to support next season. Um, uh, well, it will see. Yeah. <laughs> uh, Ian, I will. I will speak to you again, no doubt, at some point. Yes, you shall. Unfortunately, mm. yes, for you. Yeah, uh, but for now, it's Bye. goodbye from me and goodbye from Josh and Ian. Cheers. Cheers.